Hello, everybody, and welcome to Front of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and this is our series from a certain point of view in which we interview the creators from a galaxy far, far away. On today's show, our guest was most recently featured in Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark with her original short story about the Night Sisters called Bug, and she was also a part of the Confidence Chronicles from her Universe Press back in 2016, which was a steampunk fantasy series. And she's also married to Dave Filoni, so she has a very unique relationship to Star Wars and the Clone Wars especially, so it's even more exciting to see her get to put her voice into this Clone Wars universe. So I'm just so excited to bring this all to you today. So without further ado, let's jump right into my interview with author E. Ann Convery. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad Whipple, and so, so excited for our interview today on the show. We are joined by an author from the latest book, Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark. She wrote the new original story, Bug, which is just a fantastic tale, a spooky tale about a night sister, and I'm just super pleased to be talking about it today. So, Anne Convery, welcome to the show. So happy to have you. Thank you so much. I am super pleased to be here. First thing I want to ask you is now that this original story, which wasn't a part of the you know advanced copies that all everybody got, so we were kind of waiting for it. What does it feel like to finally have that out in the universe for people to read? Kind of leave your stamp on the on the Star Wars universe um, in publishing form and and see what that reaction's been like. Uh, it feels great. <laughs> That's the <laughs> short answer. Uh, you know, I've been closely joined to star wars for about 15 years now since dave started working on the clone wars and uh that was an experience to watch that because dave himself being uh, i don't want to say rabid fan but like a big time fan of the star wars (laughs) before he ever came to work on it like i sort of know what the fandom is like and and my experience of the fandom has been overwhelmingly positive generally but like you know the clone wars got started and we had the movie out in theaters it was a little bumpity bumpity and you know people weren't necessarily all like oh ahsoka anakin's padawan of course we love that you know that wasn't necessarily the reception (laughs) of the gate right Um, so i know that because it's a because it's a property and it's a it's a galaxy that people feel really protective of are really invested in they have strong opinions about it so to come out with anything new to add anything to that and have it be received as generously and warmly as it has been is so great it's so great yeah and it's interesting too because you're you're coming in writing this story at a point where we just got the final season of the clone wars after waiting it was hard to believe seven years that's kind of crazy to think about like i was just in a completely different time in my life as i'm as i'm sure you were so to kind of be riding that wave of new storytelling and then to literally have a new story in a book about old ones was just so refreshing, even though it kind of felt familiar in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I love how open it was, you know, the people, the authors. And I mean, there's such a great slate of authors on this book and to be in their company first time out is uh, very humbling and very exciting. And I say a little bit, it feels like being at the cool kids lunch table where I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh, hello, uh, Zoraida Cordova. Oh, hello, Rebecca Rebecca. <laughs> can, I, can I eat with you? You know, and it's so great. Yeah, yeah. 
but also that they were given um, just sort of free reign to be like, what do, what do you want to write about? Like what episode um, speaks to you? So exciting. And I had the same experience to a point. So, cause even though mine is the original story, um, Dave was like, well, what would you want to write about? And before it's even out of his mouth, I was like, witches, space witches, night sisters, <laughs> you know, what I wanted to do. Yeah. I want to ask you, what is it about the night sisters and, and that, area of star wars i think especially the night sisters are just really weird for like it gets into some really weird force stuff that's not mm-hmm. traditional in any sense and your story definitely gets that across but why why the night sisters i mean i think the weirdness is its key because mm-hmm. that's me um i love witches i love witches of any kind i love witches here in in our galaxy on our planet i think that they're just fascinating <laughs> more and yeah. i think that they're they're really diverse the people the way people historically, and even today have practiced uh, witchcraft is not just this one thing. So as much as I love the Night Sisters and they're just so bad, can I use the A word? The yeah, podcast? absolutely. So it goes here. You know, and <laughs> so badass. Um, you know, I love that, but I was also like, well, but what else? It's a whole planet. It's a whole planet and there's different witch clans and that's already established in the lore. That's established in, in legends and that's established in gaming. And um, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what, what happens if we explore that a little more? Like, and what kind of witch or witchcraft would stand sort of in opposition uh, to the really the, the warlike magic of Talzin and her clan? So that was exciting yeah. too. Talzin is an interesting character to mm-hmm. to explore and seeing her journey throughout the Clone Wars is was really fascinating. I think she was one of those pulls to the series that I didn't necessarily anticipate. And, and you know, you, you really go from episode two to three and there's such a large jump. But to think that there's all of these stories within that that time period in between is just like crazy and mind boggling. It's like not something necessarily that you might see on screen, but to get it in animation and to really uh, expand those boundaries and then expand it on the page as well has been really really exciting to to watch and read yeah it's been fascinating for me to watch um star wars expand with you know with the disney acquisition and then all these new stories coming out and then dave's variety of projects um and it's interesting to watch people work with and realize that there's this potential of this whole universe but that there's also there are also ways though that it's star wars you know, mm-hmm. you have to, it still has to be Star Wars. And that's kind of like the magic sprinkle. Like if you don't know how to make it Star Wars, then, when, you know, you can have as many planets and cool aliens and stuff as you want. But if it doesn't have that heart and that hope, I think that we associate with Star Wars and mm-hmm. it's not Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're talking about Star Wars now on kind of a larger uh, mm-hmm. bird's eye view perspective. So I, I kind of want to rewind and ask you, when did Star Wars really connect with you initially? What, what's your past with it? And how did it influence some of your academic life where you went on to study psychology and specifically archetypal psychology? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Star Wars, I mean, look, if you're born um, around in the 70s, right? At any point, you just like grow up with Star Wars. It's just part of the zeitgeist. It's part of the culture and it's inescapable. It seems like at least in our, you know, Western context and uh, I wasn't like an early adopter at all. It wasn't, those weren't the kinds of movies that my mom took me to go see, you know, it was a princess stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think she knew there was a princess Leia. <laughs> we could connect You're just walking the past the other theaters and you hear loud banging and spaceships. You're like, what's that? She's like, nope, we're going. <laughs> and I'm just next door weeping over Bambi or whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, so I remember in, it was in 97 that A New Hope 
was back in theaters and I took my mother actually. I was like, well, now I'm taking you to the movies and we're going to go see this because it's an important part of our culture, I think, because it's a big deal. And I was so excited. It was this big cinema actually um, in Northern Pasadena. So I don't know if, I mean, you know about the fires and stuff right now, but I, I grew up down in LA and the Bobcat fire that's currently like burning down the mountain there is really close to this beautiful theater with this giant screen before there was like multiplex things that I took my mom to go and see A New Hope at. And uh, I was enraptured. You know how it is when the music comes up, the fanfare comes yeah. up and the opening crawl happens and my mom fell asleep. <laughs> but, you know, I still had a great time. You know, I nudged her yeah, yeah. and I was like, come on, come on, you gotta see this. It's a big, <laughs> come big on, moment. mom, it's a trash compactor, open up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's so funny to say trash compactors. I was like, she missed that whole part. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was like when it really solidified for me, I think, um, was actually getting to have that sort of redo and have the big, the big screen experience. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really came to understand how myth and the archetypes live always in us. And that if we can find the right way to translate them through our human medium, you know, through the gray matter, um, and onto the page or onto the screen, uh, that we're really in this constant dialogue with others in the universe that is sort of wonderful and bonds us together mm -hmm. as human beings, <laughs> which is maybe um, a bigger <laughs> answer than you yeah, were yeah. necessarily looking for. No, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we value here on the, the podcast. Mm -hmm. we, we really value the myth and the sort of larger perspective of Star Wars, because I think the reason the franchise sticks with us for how, how long it has is because of that kind of subconscious or collective unconscious of our world, how we connect with the stories, no matter where you're from or mm -hmm. what religion you are. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to those archetypes, those just commonalities that we, we see in our own lives and helps us better understand the world around us. And that's, I think that's why Star Wars for me is just something that's never gone away. It's kind of how I, how I grew up learning about the world. It's like through mm -hmm. that story. And that's pretty awesome. It's a great way to learn about the world because yeah. I mean, it, it shows you both sides. It shows you the light and dark, you know, it shows you the Jedi and the Sith when we get deeper into that with the prequels. And, um, and then it offers you the choice, the choice. Cause that's what mm -hmm. our lives are about. They're always about, and with these deep mythical archetypal tales, it's always about your choice. You know, there's a lot of things you can't control, but you can control how you react or how you to respond to something. And that's a very simple life lesson that, well, the universe is just conspiring to teach us all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what defines the hero's journey for, for some, right? Because there's a mm -hmm. lot who just won't make that choice to leave their home or to go beyond. Right. And thinking about that in the context of, of your story, Bug especially, Bug makes that choice to go into a larger world. And that is kind of a theme that's presented throughout the story is like her always looking up at the stars and feeling like she can hug them and like hold them close together. But she's always kind of stuck just sweeping up the the floor and she's just like her own beetle, basically. Is that is that like a really core theme for how you view Star Wars is kind of taking Star Wars is almost like a, a conduit for ourselves to enter our larger world and like make a difference. And for Bug, that's what she hopes to do. Is that kind of how you saw that that story in some ways? Oh, for sure. I think that we're, yeah. I mean, we're all throughout life um, kind of poised right there with like our eyes on the ground or 
the activity or the needs or the chores right in front of us but also that we need to cultivate and always hold like on the other side there um the ability to wonder curiosity about what's next uh hopes and dreams and fears and have all those things so yeah i think that that's that's what's always at play and i mean bug is very much a sort of star wars version of a cinderella or an ashen puddle character so Mm -hmm. she's she's got what people want of her or how they see her, which is not very kind. Right. And that in itself is a choice is, am I going to see myself the way I've been told to see myself or that I've been told that people see me or am I going to create something different? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's going to choose her name. She's going to find it out there somewhere. That's the final line. Right. Versus Mm -hmm. the name that's given to her. She doesn't want Falta to give her the name yet. And I think yeah, which I'm like impressed because yeah. I that's where she's like not like me at all, actually. Because I'd be like, Yeah, I want to know the thing, <laughs> you know. But she's like, No, I'm gonna find out the thing for myself and make it. <laughs> so I'm impressed with her in that way. Yeah. I want to know how did you become originally involved in the project? Because obviously you've been so adjacent to Star Wars for so long. But mm-hmm. when did you when did you initially get approached for this project? And how did oh. it make you feel to be like chosen to be endowed with this ability to play in the Star Wars sandbox? Yeah just like Qui-Gon coming to my planet and designing the <laughs> Chlorian count is like beyond. And he has it's to take way too high. I uh, know. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I've told this story a couple times and it's absolutely true. And I feel a little sheepish about it because it begins with a compliment to myself. So take it with a grain of salt. But Dave very kindly goes around telling people all the time that I'm the better storyteller than he is, which is not true. I am a more voracious reader, maybe. I'm a more critical reader, you know, but I'm not a better storyteller, which I think his body of work attests to. But I love that he's a great partner and that he will say those kinds of things about me. And that is as it should be. (laughs) But um, kept saying that, kept saying that. And then James Watt Lucasfilm was like, well, what would Anne be interested in uh, storytelling? You know, and Dave comes home and says, yeah, they're interested in knowing what you'd want to do. And I was like, why are you so surprised? You've been telling everybody <laughs> for years. Um, so I think it was uh, James who was like, what would Anne like to do? And that led to a meeting with Jen Hennel, head of Lucasfilm Publishing. And I just pitched her the idea of some uh, space switch goodness. And actually I did it incorrectly because I I wasn't entirely aware of the scope of the project. I didn't realize at the time that they were retellings from different points of view of episodes of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of went in there and I think that that's why it ended up being the original story because while I loosely tied it in um, to the episode Massacre, uh, I, I just made a mistake is what it is. And I didn't do my homework, <laughs> at least not in that regard. And then they were like happy enough with my story to be like, well, well let's, just, <laughs> let's just have it. We'll just let it be its own thing. And I was like, great. So it was a happy accident. What, what was your process to, to write, uh, write the story? Because again, it's a perspective that you haven't gotten before. So how did you necessarily get into the head of bug or create a character mm-hmm. like her and what, what might've drawn some inspiration, uh, for her and to kind of tell the story within a story. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that I started actually telling it first person from Falch's point of view. And, and, and the story initially was her just telling a kid this story. And then I didn't like, I like leaning into the tropes of witches. I like leaning into the creepy, you know, ness of that. Um, But I didn't like how, like cackly crazy it sounded like I'm like this mm-hmm. isn't the tone I want and this is what I do fairy tale wise but this isn't necessarily Star Wars 
So I ended up reeling it back and thinking about, but who is it that she's telling this story to? And like, what kind of audience do you want for her, her story within the story? And then that's how Bug started to become to be, which probably has a lot to do with just me being like, kind of a lonely child who would play games against myself, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and also the, like uh, the various tropes of fairy tales, which are often like, and then she's just so lonely and all she wants to do is see the world, you know? And, yes. Um, yeah. So, and then her environment started to inform who she was and you get your ash beetles, you get... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were some interesting points throughout where I, I really felt like Falta wasn't just talking to Bug, she was really talking to to the readers and like one of the one of the one of the lines was when she said babies can't understand stories many adults can't either but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt and to me that kind of spoke to not necessarily thinking any type of star wars or even any type of stories are specifically geared towards one group or one age of people right it's kind of like no matter your age you're always kind of learning or relearning the things that you know and that's kind of what that line spoke to, right? You can watch Star Wars as a baby, you won't get it. You can watch it as an adult and you probably still won't get it. I don't get it sometimes, <laughs> right? Was that kind of on purpose there? Or was, was there some meaning behind how you view the, the power of storytelling and also like how it affects different age groups, especially in the context of Star Wars? Definitely. I mean, just yeah. full stop, definitely. I mean, the, I mean, Star Wars, the common knowledge is Star Wars is for kids, but we see how much people across generations enjoy it. A lot of that is older people who've grown, grown up with it, sharing it with their kids now. And I think what's important is, what's important always, I think, is a sense of play and a sense of a childlike mind. So I don't know. I've gotten so witchy with you um, before we even started recording here. Are you familiar <laughs> with the tarot deck? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I think my friend did a reading on me one time. Wonderful. So there's, yes. a, there's a card that's just called The Fool. And it's a, it's like a little person with like a, like a hobo's bindle on their back and they're taking a step forward and what they're taking a step forward like into is a cliff, like it's over a cliff, but they're totally happy and fine and ready. And I think that I kind of held that image a little bit in my mind with Bug. I was just like, that's what you have to be always to be ready for the next thing. You know, mm. you have to be ready to risk something. Um, and you have to let your your mind and your curiosity and what you're willing to experience just stay open, remain open. So in that way, Falta is kind of that kind of character too. Like she didn't want to leave her planet. She didn't want to lose her daughter. She didn't want to do any of those things. But even still the process of being on this planet with Buggy and trying to get what she wants, she's evolving too as an older woman. So we have a young girl who's on the edge of something and we have an older woman who's also on the edge of, of discovery and is still evolving. And so I kind of took in my head that guiding motif of like, well, what does it look like? What does it look like when you're the fool and you're ready for the world, even though you're totally not ready for it? Like <laughs> what's coming mm -hmm. up is a cliff. And, um, and that playfulness, that openness to story, that not being like, this is the worst, or this one is not as good as that one, or they've ruined my childhood, or whatever <laughs> the dialogue is that comes up sometimes around stuff, because people right. have strong emotions around Star Wars, which I totally understand and respect. But you know, yeah. you can loosen that up a little bit and get back into your childlike mind or get back into like the fool who knows they know nothing and is ready for everything, Yeah, you're going to have a better experience in life, let alone viewing any sort of Star Wars mm. content. 
my my favorite my favorite reply ever is just this is a space this is a movie about space wizards made for kids <laughs> you know like just relax it's so good because it's true you know? right yeah and and that makes me think of obviously you, you've studied fairy tales in some of your academic work and star wars originally for, for from Lucas's perspective, was a fairy tale for that lost generation. You know, he made American Graffiti. That was kind of him reclaiming that sort of high adrenaline youth of, you know, his his desire for car racing and all that stuff. But then mm-hmm. Star Wars sort of became this thing of what are these kids growing up in like a post World War II world, uh, a pre current Vietnam world? They need fairy tales too, right? And and I think he really wanted to connect with that childlike wonder. And it's what you see with Yoda, who says, you know, just let your mind be in the present. Don't look forward. Just be here and now. And kind of approach life with that sort of risk risk taking mentality. And just mm-hmm. what do you think of like the importance of fairy tales? And why do we need them in our lives? Mm-hmm. Kind of like how we needed Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I'm biased, you know. So, um. They've got staying power, man. You can't say they don't. And they've been told over and over again. Um, and I did a lot of work in my thesis and my master's work around how similar stories with similar motifs crop up on opposite sides of the world. You know, like there are versions of Cinderella that are from China and there are versions that are from Germany and there are versions, you know, and a lot of this is before your widely circulating print media, you know. So they definitely come from an unconscious place. Um, sometimes they get used like Hans Christian Andersen, um, especially to sort of dictate social mores um, to people. And other times they stay, I think, a little bit closer to that prima materia, to what they're, they're really about, which is not so much. Ultimately, yes. How should you act in society? How does society function? Who are you in this world? Who are you as a citizen? Sure, fine. But more importantly, who are you at your core? Where does dark and light live in you? Fairy tales are very much the same as dreams in that every character in a fairy tale is you. You're not just the protagonist. You're not just the pretty one. And you're not just like the evil witch. You are all the things. These are all aspects of you. And then what fairy tales present to you is the chance to cultivate the aspects of yourself that you most want to cultivate and present to others, you know? Like, how are you going to be the most effective self in the world? And, you know, right now I'm in my good Glinda the Witch aspect or whatever talking to you. <laughs> but I can very quickly, you know, turn a shade of green and start, like, asking little girls for their red shoes. You know, like, we all have the capacity. <laughs> it's spooky season. Nothing's off the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell I'm already, I'm ready for Halloween. Mid-September, it's time. Yeah, it's crazy. What that's, that's kind of what I love about the story of Bug, too, because as we've been talking about fairy tales, R- Falta is really telling her own fairy tale to Bug. And I love how she starts it out with once upon a time. Well, that's actually not exactly this kind of story. Not so very long, nor so very far away. And I thought that was kind of a funny s- switch, but it made me kind of question, what do you think are the, the most defining characteristics of a fairy tale? And like, is there are, is there like a very specific set of characteristics that it has to follow or can it be pretty fluid because i think here in this instance she's telling the story to to bug and bug is getting almost so like hypnotized by it and so into the story that she almost loses herself in the in the process yeah there's something really to the to the bounding um once upon a time and happily ever after structure of of fairy tales at least in the west especially that i think it 
I think it's important because it, it creates a container for the work and then you can like move on and like go and eat your breakfast or do whatever it is you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, but not all fairy tales are like that and not all fairy tales have quite the same themes or they'll have variations on them. I'm really especially interested because it's part of my heritage in Irish fairy tales and folklore. And those can, what I love about them is that they'll be a little counterintuitive. Um, I, there's this one that I really love uh, about the, it's like a fairy wife, this man who takes a fairy for a wife and he takes her to a funeral and she laughs the whole time. And he, he takes her to a wedding and she cries the whole time. And her reactions are all different from the human reactions, but they, they speak to like um, the happiness of someone set free at the end of a long illness or um, the sadness of knowing that like marriage is work, you know, like that's <laughs> what she's reacting to. And there's something very honest about that acknowledgement of the shadow side in fairy tales that I think that Irish folklore in particular does really well. Probably it's just all that time in the rain and with whiskey, but um, <laughs> it, uh, so they can be different. Um, but there is, there is a structural thing. I don't know about you, but like if someone says once upon a time to me, I just sit back and I'm comfortable. Like I'm stepping into something yeah. that I know. Um, and that I know not just because it's been told to me since I was three years old or whatever, um, but because I know it in a deeper sense, almost in my body at this point. Yeah. And so there's room for transformation within that known bounded space. But we need that that sense of comfort and being held by the structure of the story in order to transform. It's a cocoon that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I traditionally think that when you hear fairy tale, you do think of the happily ever after always. But it is interesting to see how that work can be transformed within it, like you're saying. And you you mentioned the word cocoon. I can't help but think of the Night Sisters <laughs> again. You know, and you know, Balsa is quite literally telling Bug about the story of how she, at least Bug doesn't know created this life and so such a stark contrast to how the night sisters typically bury their dead and there's just this stark juxtaposition for falta of she thinks that fruit should live on a tree and she makes it from the singing the clay from the singing mountain the water from the the dreaming river the shells the berries all of it i thought that was like really beautiful in a way and when you approach that sort of uh, i don't think we saw it in the series that specific the specific character if i'm correct what did you draw inspiration from to have falta be this character that's more focused on the life than the death and what sort of mythological elements did you kind of try to put into that with all these different you know like earth water um mm -hmm. all that stuff coming into play um that was in some ways pretty straightforward in that the night sisters are so overtly their magic is so overtly about like war mm -hmm. and death you know, and a lot of that is because of um, the direction I think Talzin takes it in. Um, and so I was like, well, if there's all these other clans, though, what are they like and what are their, their focuses on? And it was quite simply, I was like watching, so you're watching like Massacre and I was like looking at like this big vessel they had, you know, with it's all like, you know, all the green icor comes out of it and all the things that are happening. And, and I was like, who made that? Like these, these ladies are so busy destroying stuff. Um, that mm -hmm. their enemies mostly eating them for breakfast. I'm like, but who <laughs> makes this stuff? Because I mean, it granted does not make for the most exciting episode of Clone Wars. In Clone Wars, if you're like, and here's this lady with her pottery wheel, you know, like that's <laughs> not something we necessarily need to see. But I was like, but there are ways to make that character interesting. Um, and I wanted to see. I just really wanted to see making magic. Um, 
I wanted to see someone whose whole impetus and thrust was towards creation and life as much as um, her neighbors seem to be about about war and death, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, yeah. you've talked a bit too, I've, I've listened to some of your previous interviews and read some stuff, but the idea of choice again, Balta makes the choice to create and mm-hmm. that is in a stark contrast to Shmi Skywalker, who I know you've, you've been talking about a lot recently. And Shmi kind of was just endowed with motherhood. She didn't necessarily yeah. like, have a choice. Right. And she births Anakin and he's sort of the chosen one. And then she has to watch him leave the home. So likewise, Falta still makes the choice to to give life, mm-hmm. but also ends up watching her daughter leave home and right. seeing kind of seeing that sort those sort of parallels was really interesting. What do you what do you think on the character of Shmi and, and Shmi and this idea of of the choice of life versus it kind of just being thrown upon you? Right. Well, I don't know. I don't know how you grew up. But I grew up uh, going to like a Lutheran church and school. Mm-hmm. And so I was in church like three days a week in some fashion, you know, like I had chapel and then I had like a religious class and then I had actual Sunday services and Sunday school and all that stuff. Um, so perhaps not as much with if I'd grown up Catholic, but my, uh, you know, Mary loomed really large for me. And when you're a kid and you're singing songs um, at your Christmas services about the Virgin Mary, like around young Virgin mother and child, you're not really <laughs> thinking about it. And then you get a little older and you go, hold on a second, <laughs> you know, and your, your heart goes out to Joseph. You're like, what did he think of all this? And <laughs> I mean, at least it was nice. He like sent an angel to be like, this is what's going to happen to you, Mary. And she's like, can I not even talk to him directly? Like there's questions that start to intrigue yeah, yeah. about that. Um, so when we just get like a snippet or like a smidge or a suggestion of that from Shmi Skywalker and her story about Anakin's provenance, you're like, that's interesting. And it falls in line. It falls in line with our mythology and the greatest mythologies um, in our in our culture currently that we still um, celebrate. Or I don't want to offend anyone by calling it a mythology if it's what you believe, you know, but, you know, yeah. um, cosmology, shall we say. So... As someone who is very much about um, women and their choices, I wanted to have a woman actively choose to create a child. And there's, and there's, you know, um, there's room for that um, in the archetypes too. As actually Amy Radcliffe uh, pointed out to me, she was like, oh yeah, Hippolyta like creates Wonder Woman out of clay. Like this whole idea mm-hmm. of like, yeah, well women create life and we don't do it alone, but this is a planet full of witches. So maybe I can make that happen and it can be a choice yeah. and it can be, and the labor of it can be a joy. And I think that, and I don't mean like labor, like giving birth, cause I have a lot of mom friends and that part is not a joy, but the work of assembling this thing with so much love um, and tending to it, I thought could be a real joy for her. And then where the hard part comes is when they grow up. And I don't know, I don't know if you, have you seen the movie, Hannah? Hannah. I'm not familiar with Hannah. It's great. It's, it's a really great movie um, with Saoirse Ronan in it and Kate Blanchett and you should watch it. There's like a series of it now, but the movie is like one of my top tens of all times and it's got so much to do with fairy tales and archetypal like imagery. Um, but one yeah, of the- Saoirse Ronan's in it. I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah, you've got to see it. It's like young Saoirse Ronan and she kicks everybody's butt. It's amazing. Oh, but, um, I'm in. I'm bought in. Yeah, you're going to love it. But, <laughs> but one of the explanations for- um, why something goes wrong like her father's asks, like why are you doing all this now like basically to set her his daughter up for a better life 
is he just says, kids grow up, you know? So he's going through all of this, like, he gets his ass beat, you know, he, like, is in danger. If he had just stayed in his little cabin in the woods with his daughter, like you were saying, there's the choice to go out or there's the choice to stay. And they make the choice to go out, and his choice is based on kids grow up, and they have to have a life. And if I don't do this work, they won't mm-hmm. have a life. And I think where we find Falta is um, at that point where she was holding on a little too hard because it's hard hard to let him go and so of course when you do that she goes on her own and then the loss is even greater yeah yeah i found it interesting that by the end she's actually encouraging bug to leave the home right that's like such stark contrast to what she was doing she's learned her lesson by that point you know she doesn't want to make that same mistake Mm -hmm. but what what would you envision like what is what is that going to look like when Falta actually finds her daughter Yena. Like, I mean, oh. now she's gonna have two two kids. I mean, I know it's it's interesting <laughs> to think about like what that future looks like. Do you do you think Falta would be the type of character to kind of make up for the things that she's done or maybe felt that she's done and really give that choice back to her daughter? I mean, I like to think that that's what we're just starting to see the inklings of towards the end of that story, where instead of yeah. like just telling Bug what her real name is, she's like, yeah, I mean, she screws up, and then Bug tells her she screwed up. And she's like, you're right, I screwed up. Wow. And that's a, that is huge. Honestly, like, if you could just get anyone, anyone, like, say, I don't know, in our government to just say, like, you're right, I screwed up. Like, how great. (laughs) And then we could just start over and get the Yeah, yeah. Hit the reset button just quick. So it's a small (laughs) moment or it seems like a small moment, but you know what? It's a big freaking deal. So, um, so there's that. So we see that evolution. And then she, like, starts to treat Bug as more of like a human person with feelings and thoughts and asks her like, I could tell you, do you want to know? Like gives her that choice, you know? Thank goodness she didn't ask her because then she's like, no, no man, yeah. I don't know my name. <laughs> <laughs> Something commonly seen in Star Wars in, in terms of the, the mother figure, I think mothers make the hardest choices throughout the entire saga, throughout pretty much every single story I've, I've read. You know, you have Leia, Shmi Skywalker for me is actually like one of my favorite characters of the saga. And I hope to God we get some more stories with her at some point in some capacity. But yeah, she makes that hardest choice. She makes the choice that Falta can't make, right? She lets Anakin go despite that being possibly the hardest thing she could ever do. But she knows by letting go and which is almost a Jedi, uh, the thing a Jedi would do and what the Jedi aspire to do is to let go. Mm -hmm. She ends up giving giving Anakin a better life or what initially seems like will be a better life. You know, it's not so better down the line. (laughs) Well, either whichever way she gives him his life, you know? Yeah. 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 She gives him the choice. She passes that choice on to, to uh, Anakin. Likewise, Leia kind of passes the choice on to uh, Ben Solo and, and so on and so forth. But what do you see as the, the power in the mother figure in star Wars overall and, having to make these hard choices, these hard sacrifices, because it's, uh, it's kind of time and time again, but it's really inspirational in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, it's just part of the cycle of life. And I mean, I think that's what a lot of archetypal psychology and Jungian psychology in particular is getting at, um, is that you have to move through these cycles. I mean, we see Vader do it. All Vader really does when he is saved is become a father again, like Mm -hmm. remember that he's a father and that his job is to love his son you know, the way his son has shown him so much love. Like, that's all that is. And I think that that's what it is with the moms. And 
I mean, it's a bummer that in our fairy tale tropes, I mean, and I am guilty of this too, I'll tell you what, in other things that I've written, is that mom's always dying, you know, like mom's <laughs> just dying for the greater cause. Uh, yeah. And it's too bad. I mean, I would like to see, and maybe this was partially what I was doing with this short story, is I'd like to see a mom getting to be active about that loss and not be so much about... I mean, who knows, but not be so much about like, I found you and you're coming home, young lady. Like, that's not what that is. I found you, you're safe. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted you to be safe. How can I help you? You know, like that's ideally what you want. One of the best examples of that I see uh, is is Vanessa Doza from Star Wars Resistance. And uh, she yeah. eventually gets back with her daughter and she kind of is like, all right, we're back together now. We're going to have your birthday every year together. No more, no more fighting, you know? And I think I just really love the mother-daughter relationships in Star Wars, um, even though there are a few of them, but the ones that we do get are so powerful. And I yeah. think Bug, uh, Yenna, and Falta kind of are no another addition to that, to that mythos of Star Wars. Would you hope to see maybe some more mother-daughter relationships explored in Star Wars? Because I know so much of it is typically focused on the father and son, but um, what do you think that could really add to to the Star Wars mythology overall. I mean, it adds a, it adds a, like a sort of a missing half, you know, it would be great mm -hmm. to see those relationships evolve too. I mean, we have um, Hera and Jason at the end of Rebels, which is like, so yes. exciting. Like, look at that, look at that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just piloting the ghosts into the future. You know, it's just, yes. it's so hopeful and wonderful. And I mean, and I think that that's, that's the thing. I think it's been kind of a missing part of the equation and that's fine. We've been focused on other things for a really long time, but I think that especially, um, as we get a greater diversity of voices telling Star Wars stories that maybe we'll get a different angle on some yeah. of these relationships than we've had. Yeah, I think that's the thing I'm most excited for. And I'm really looking uh, forward to what's to come because there's so many books, so many TV shows already announced. So I'm I'm very excited. Like there's no, there's no dearth of Star Wars. And I know that some yeah. people are like, when are they going to stop? And I'm like, there's no <laughs> reason to stop because because the, the material as is unending as the collective unconscious like there's so mm -hmm. much yeah yes absolutely so i want to ask about the the monic piece i thought this was kind of an interesting symbol throughout the story to me and i think everything has a purpose like whether it's on screen or on the page like every single thing is put in there for a reason but That's to me the the dejaric piece that was missing for Bug, it kind of feel like it represented the kind of like her North Star in a way, like the direction in her life was missing. And at one point, Falta, like when they're about to leave and go off on their adventure together, she talks to her about this trick. Like if you learn the trick, that piece can be whatever you want it to be. So to me, that kind of felt very meta in a way. It's like, that's your life. That's your North Star. You can kind of follow it wherever you want. Um, you just have to learn how. And like she, maybe she can teach her how, how to do that. Is that kind of what you were getting at in terms of that piece sort of representing the missing part of, of Bug or what went into that thinking? I would just love to say that you're an excellent reader that makes my <laughs> stuff sound so much smarter than I originally planned. <laughs> no, no, but there is I, actually, I've been very like, I'm very honest about like, no, I wasn't seeing that at all, but I'm so glad you see it. And yes, let's talk. At least more. that's what I gleaned from it. Yeah. Let's talk about how smart I am, even when I don't know I'm being smart. Um, no, but there is definitely that because my my whole deal, there's this really great book um, called Fairy Tales, The Magic Mirror of Imagination um, that actually I think a professor of mine um, back when I was at Cal State Los Angeles for a little while 
uh, wrote and it's really great and, and a lot of like my work subsequently with fairy tales is about how do these how do these characters reveal me like what do I see like what do I see of myself in these characters and then how do I work with that and that's the key is like not everybody goes off and works with it mm -hmm. um so they're just out there <laughs> just flaming people from whatever archetype they're inhabited by at the time yeah. um but the monarch was like this really uh, was a really solid and malleable piece and and for bug especially like if you've seen like a monarch piece it's very fierce you know and she is the opposite of that up until that moment where she kind of turns around and like turns on fault and is like that's enough of that you know um and so it's like her it's like her the potential ferocity of her spirit certainly mm -hmm. she wouldn't want to be that all the time so it needs to be a malleable substance and something that she can learn to control but yeah actually you actually came across something that i was thinking about and i love it when someone points out something that i did on purpose <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, one of the small details when she, I think when she looks at it, she's like, she sees her face projected on it. So that's like, that's what kind of like made me click in my head. I was like, all right, there's, there's something there, you know, it's not just a, you know, a stationary object that you just threw in for no reason. It has meaning, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was a little bit like, what could she be doing by herself alone? <laughs> playing chess playing star wars chess <laughs> exactly i was like what's that but then i but then i was like, very particular about like but which piece <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> one other thing too about the story is i just love the again it's it's spooky season so it kind of feels appropriate for us to be talking about it i don't know about you i'm like a september 1st like start thinking about halloween sort of person yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it's fun to be talking about this in in that realm and the black cat that's in the story the again the witch and just all of these kind of weird mystic things that happen throughout the story almost like as she's being told the story she's falling asleep she feels very thirsty her legs feel heavy her eyes feel heavy there's all these sort of things and you almost feel like it's sort of in the realm of like a dark star wars legend or something like that what what's it kind of feel to write in that specific genre and bring some of your like you know halloween passion to the story and just play with that for a little bit yeah um what's nice about the structure of star wars is that it does give you i think a lot of space to play in <laughs> no pun intended but <laughs> um yeah I, I was thinking about i was thinking about the cat you know and i was like i really want to give her a familiar basically and i'm like and the cat seems real obvious but then also there are cats in star wars <laughs> and what the hey you know i just one of my joys personally when writing is like, how far can I lean into a trope or dare I call it a cliche and make it still work? Like make it be believable, give it something new, play with it a little bit. And um, and that was that was just me doing that. And like, what are all the witchy cliches? Like she's wearing black and she's striding mm -hmm. around. And weirdly the dust doesn't seem to cling to her. There's like all the little stuff, all the little bits of magic. So I could kind of build her mythos within the story so that you've got Bug looking at her like, what, I want to know everything about this lady. Because that's yeah. exactly, if I saw a lady like that walking down the street with a cat that followed her everywhere, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I would follow that lady today and be like, what's yeah. happening? What? You live in a gingerbread house? Fine. <laughs> Let me just climb into your oven. I don't even care. You're the coolest. You know? <laughs> oh my god that's fantastic yeah it's it's just another another reason why i love the night sisters and it plays so well too off of zoraida cordova's story on asajj ventress and seeing sort of the aftermath of massacre and then now you're seeing it from a different angle but it's again it's almost this very like 
horror-like story and you're kind of on the edge of your seat and strangely enough like dark legends from george mann just came out so i almost mm-hmm. felt like it was very much in that realm of of, of genre and um, that was really exciting to to see yeah it's a good time of year for all the dark the dark stuff to come out right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep, ex- absolutely so to kind of wrap up the the interview here i just wanted to ask you a couple things just in terms of like rapid fire but i know there's been a lot of of star wars projects announced um is there anything that you're like particularly uh interested in currently or that you're like really excited about like what from you from your perspective like just brings you the most joy to think about because there's just so much out there that we're we're waiting on yeah well i mean I'm excited for people to see what Dave's been doing with season two of Mandalorian, obviously. Um, I'm very excited about that. I just, I'm really curious to see how that goes. And speaking of Halloween, you know, that like to views on the 30th. So we'll like, yeah. Um, and there's a full moon on Halloween this year and the Mandalorian. It's like, it's, it's like the perfect weekend. It's all yeah. Happening. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is where things turn around. It's going to be cool. <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't know if that's a bad thing for 2020 or a good thing for 2020. Like, I don't need all the planets to align that day and something happens. A Death Star comes out. You know, I just don't need that. <laughs> that's it. That's just going to be it. Dave's, Dave's fantasy is that Godzilla rises from the ocean and, <laughs> and then where things are really happening. But, um, and, uh, I'm really excited about the Bad Batch because I've seen some of that and I have, I'm just like blown away with like how they've really hit their stride in animation and the storytelling and what's going on there. I had just the best time watching that cartoon and mm-hmm. I don't always feel like, Dave will tell you that I'm like the meanest critic of his things, you know, but in a loving way. Cause I'm like, but this mm-hmm. is what he do, you know, it's just what yeah, I Yeah, you, cha- you challenge him, you know, that's always, yeah. I mean, thing. that's what a good partner yeah. does. You find a loving way to challenge your partner. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Bad Batch, I just think is phenomenal. And a lot of that is uh, due to, well, the whole team there, but um, Athena Portillo, who's been with uh, Lucasfilm Animation from almost the beginning. I think Dave stole her from another project. It's fine. It's fine. Um, she's just great. She's a great leader in our animation department. And I think that what they're able to do and how they're able to do it, it um, it's just this machine now, but like a good one, not like a, yeah, yeah. not with the parts. It's just more like people are just having a blast making it and it shows, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that. And then, um, um, that, that Obi-Wan project, um, headed by Deb Chen is really exciting to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, what a lady's going to, uh, <laughs> yes. series is, Oh, how will this go? And it's going to be great. That's how that's going to go. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for some sad Obi-Wan vibes. I'm just, I'm waiting for it. (laughs) I'm like, he's definitely had a few drinks in that cantina back in the day. (laughs) Like he's, that's not the first bar fight in A New Hope. He's had many. He's experienced. And you know that he every once in a while, he used to to sneak a death stick every once in a while, you know? Yeah. I don't know. They don't really have gyms in Star Wars, do they? Yeah, um, yeah. He was talking mad smack about them in Attack of the Clones, but then he's like, maybe, maybe I'll try one. <laughs> he's totally that guy who's like, I gave them up. And so they <laughs> you know, Obi-Wan. Yes. So you, obviously you've been so adjacent to the animation uh, of Star Wars, and now you're in the publishing of Star Wars. Um, from my perspective, I actually think publishing and animation are like, almost the best mediums to tell Star Wars nowadays. And I still love films and television. And I think Mandalorian is definitely proving that. But from your perspective, what do you see as the power of animation and publishing to not just be sort of 
the side things that are just kind of there. They're not just like extra dressing. They really are the meal. They're they're really as important to anything else in the Star Wars mythology as a movie or a television show. Um, what do you see as the as the power of of that sort of medium? Well, I think that I think with like gameplay too. I think it was like gameplay and publishing and animation. Animation less so. As far as I'm concerned, animation can tell any sort of story as cinematically, um, as beautifully, as touchingly with your highs and your lows as live action any day. And I think that that's just a, an idea we have in our heads here. Like whereas in like say Japan and their animation, they know that that medium is for everything just as much, you know? Um, so for me, I can't and won't separate out animation and the work done there from the live action really. I'm mm -hmm. like, that's just as, and sometimes more beautiful depending on you know what it is you're trying to convey uh so far as publishing and gameplay and those kinds of things go i think that like if you look at star wars as like a body you know and you've got like your you've got your big feature trilogies or whatever up up at the head you know and then you've got like every you've got your other live action all throughout and that's what you see but like you're publishing that's just your blood and your and your games is like your nervous system like it's all keeping it moving so even when we haven't had like a tent pole coming out in the theaters or whatever or we're just sitting like waiting for a series for for many many years before like we got even clone wars um you know those things just kept keep on chugging and without those like what what's happening so they really are like the life's blood and what's so great i think about publishing about reading is that if that's like this really personal experience you know there's something really intimate about the book which is i think why you get so many fun fan theories and fanfic and stuff that spreads from um that published material in particular it's yes. just fun it's a different way to interact and i think people really own it hard and i love that i'm always a proponent for people to to watch the animated stuff and read the books because i'm just like it's not you know, it's it's just as integral to the the Star Wars universe. It's it's there. It's it's ready to be consumed. And um, there's just so many fun stories and, like you said, fun voices to to go along for the ride. So, I'm particularly excited for the from a certain point of view for Empire Strikes Back because you got 40 different people oh, working yeah. on it. You know, so that's 40. that's just a great example of what we can do with with publishing, especially. It's like yeah. I want to know about Will Roe Hood. I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to know what's in that container. <laughs> Uh, my final question for you is when you look at just Star Wars and, and kind of incorporating your own personal experiences, some of your academic work, just everything kind of all boiling it down to one one point. Like, how do you feel Star Wars? Uh, what do you feel Star Wars means to you? I mean, Star Wars means the world to me. Like, it, it affects my it's it's now really affected my creative life, sometimes in not so great ways, because with the pressures of like supporting Dave and the time that his job takes and then the things that I take on um, sort of just day-to-day responsibility-wise because of that. And it's a little bit like, man, Star Wars, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I look at the roof over my head and the like books I have and the things I'm doing, I'm like, man, Star Wars, you know? So there's a, there's a real give and take there, although overall overwhelmingly positive. Um, mm -hmm. To step into it in a creative role at all, like an overtly creative role, um, with this story is just, it's a little humbling because I did the, I did the research and I did the work and I took it really seriously and it was interacting with Star Wars in a way that I hadn't to up to that point. And so I guess I felt a little bit like bug in that, 
in that tower, you know, just looking out at the galaxy and all the possibilities and really just wanting to do right by myself, do what I do and honor that, um, and then do right by that whole galaxy. So it was great. It was like any great adventure, you yeah. know? And I came out on the other side and I feel all right. That's <laughs> yeah. how you're supposed to feel when you go through the, the Star Wars journey, so. Yeah, exactly. And thank you so much for, for joining the, the podcast today. And I really hope we see you at some point writing more stories in, in the Star Wars universe. Please <laughs> do so. We'd love, I would love uh, to. I love your writing. So uh, we'll see maybe what, what's ahead for you. But where can our listeners find some of your other work that you can talk about, uh, stuff you mm-hmm. have coming up, and where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, um, I'm working on a series of books that hopefully we'll find a home for. Um, and I will let everyone know if- soon as that is uh, coming to fruition. But for right now, probably the best place to follow me is on Instagram where I'm just E.N. Convery. Um, and there you'll get lots of dog content and you'll know what I ate for breakfast, which is mostly some version of a burrito. And every once in a while, Dave sneaks in there. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, once again, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And last thing I'll say is may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Anne. Make sure to leave a review for this podcast and also share it with all of your friends across social media. That's certainly the best way to help spread and grow the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, or you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the force. Thank you to our current patrons, Anna, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Marie Claire, Marvin, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T. So that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you always. Friends of the Force is a proud member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. To learn more about our sister shows, find us on Twitter at We Are Escape Pods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.